the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Today on Cornerstone Connection with Pastor Gary Hamrick. Real love is calling, listen, truth opens up your eyes. Mercy is waiting for you with every sunrise. I want you to chronicle. I want you to chronicle their history. And I want you to tell them their story. And I want you to give it to them as their handbook. So that when they go back, they're going to learn. This is how you worship. This is the function of the priest. This is what happened with the kings. This is your genealogical record. This is who you belong to. There is a yearning in the heart of every human being to belong. All of us have a deep longing to know where have I come from? Who do I belong to? This is Cornerstone Connection, the radio ministry of Pastor Gary Hamrick of Cornerstone Chapel in Leesburg, Virginia. Pastor Gary is teaching through First Chronicles. We're all different in so many ways, where we come from, our language, and even within our own cultures, we differ in our personalities. But no matter how introverted or social you are, one thing we all have in common is the desire to belong. In today's message, Pastor Gary teaches us the purpose of the long, tedious genealogy at the beginning of 1 Chronicles. God was reminding His people of where they belonged and to whom they belonged. After a long captivity, we all need reminding that we belong to God alone. At the close of Pastor Gary's message today, I'll be sharing with you how you can get a copy of today's broadcast of Cornerstone Connection. Subscribe to the podcast or get in touch with us. But for now, let's join Pastor Gary for part one of today's message titled, Belonging. We're in First Chronicles. If you'll take your Bibles and turn with me to First Chronicles, I think you would agree with me that context is everything. When you think about different conversations, maybe that you've come in halfway through and you try to summarize the conversation, you can get something totally wrong based on just a little bit of the information that you had. I remember Pastor Vic, his wife Susan, uh, they have a daughter, Elisa, and I remember one time hearing a story from them where Susan was talking with a friend about the moonwalk. And uh, she was talking about the anniversary. It was like a few years ago, like the 40th anniversary of when Neil Armstrong walked on the moon. Well, their daughter comes into the room halfway through the conversation. All she hears is moonwalk. And she says, oh, yeah, I remember the moonwalk. Now, she was thinking Michael Jackson, right? Okay. Mom was talking about Neil Armstrong. You come in halfway through the conversation, you don't get the full context, and you can be talking about the same thing, and yet you're not talking about the same thing at all. Context is everything. And when it comes to the Bible, context is everything. We have to learn about the context of Scripture in order to appreciate the full meaning of the passage. Chronicles is no different. 
For those of you who take notes, let me give you a little bit of a background on the context of Chronicles. First of all, it was originally one book. First and second Chronicles were originally written, and you'll still find it that way today in a Hebrew Bible, as one book combined. There is no first and second Chronicles. It's just Hayami, meaning the book of Chronicles. The same thing is true about first and second Samuel, first and second Kings. In the Hebrew Bible, it was originally written just as the book of Samuel, the book of Kings, and now we have the book of Chronicles. It also, and this is an important point, this sets everything in terms of context, it also appears as the last book in the Hebrew Bible. You know, just to orient ourselves, when you have a Bible there in your hands or in your lap, you have the Old Testament, you have the New Testament. The Old Testament from Genesis to Malachi is identical to a Hebrew Bible. A Jewish person will read the Torah, the Scriptures, and they have the same Scripture we do in terms of the Old Testament. Now, unless they are a believer that Jesus is Messiah, they don't have a New Testament. But the Hebrew Torah, the ancient scriptures that a Jew will read from, the same as our Old Testament. But the difference is that in the Hebrew Bible, sometimes the books are arranged in different order. Same context, same material, but different order. And when it comes to the book of Chronicles, very different order. In the Hebrew Bible, it is the last book of the Bible. And why is that? It is important to understand context because it is given as somewhat of an epilogue. This is an epilogue of Jewish history. You will notice as we go through it that it is very similar in the content of First and Second Samuel and First and Second Kings. Because what the writer of Chronicles is doing here is summarizing Jewish history. You'll note with me in chapter 1 that he's going to begin where you need to begin, at Adam. He's going to trace Jewish history all the way back to Adam and talk about history as it relates to the throne of David and the monarchy and the period of the kings through that period. But then what Chronicles does is it adds some information that we have at our disposal that kings did not tell us. Now, if you remember, before I take you to this extra information, if you remember in our study through First and Second Kings that kings ended with the message that the Israelites, because of their disobedience against God and their idolatry and their immorality, God allowed the king of Babylon, Nebuchadnezzar was his name, to come and to besiege Jerusalem and to take captive the Jews and to destroy the temple and to take off into exile hundreds of thousands of Jews over to Babylon. Now, if you were to look at a map today, the ancient kingdom of Babylon covers what is today Iraq, and some of Iran. And here comes Nebuchadnezzar to come as the instrument of God's discipline. Because after all, what was basically happening is that the people of God were saying, we don't want to have anything to do with God. We want to worship God our way. In fact, we want to worship the gods of the nations around us. And God said, all right, you want to worship the gods of the nations around you? Then I'll invite you to go move into the other nations around you, and you can worship their gods. Let's see how that goes for you. And that's what happens. The Bible says that the heart of the king is in the hand of the Lord. God is sovereign over the nations. The Bible says that God will put in place one king and depose another. And what God does is he sends the king, Nebuchadnezzar, from Babylon over to Jerusalem, besiege it, take the people of Israel off. Some will remain, very few. And the Jewish people will end up going into exile into Babylon 500 miles away. Now that's where 2 Kings ended. But Chronicles now gives us a little bit more information. What happened 
after that. So I'm going to ask you to go to the end of 2 Chronicles. I want you to just, today's study is going to be somewhat more of a thematic overview of the book because I want you to get the context here and appreciate what's going on. But if you go to the last chapter of 2 Chronicles, chapter 36, I want you to see with me here the summary again of Nebuchadnezzar coming, and then at the end of Chronicles it gives us a little bit more information than kings did. 2 Chronicles 36, I'm going to start reading in verse 15. It says, The Lord, the God of their fathers, sent word to them, that is the Israelites, through his messengers, that is the prophets, again and again, because he had pity on his people and on his dwelling place. But they mocked God's messengers, despised his words, and scoffed at his prophets until the wrath of the Lord was aroused against his people, and there was no remedy. He brought up against them the king of the Babylonians, who killed their young men with the sword in the sanctuary, and spared neither young man nor young woman, old man or aged. God handed all of them over to Nebuchadnezzar. He carried to Babylon all the articles from the temple of God, both large and small, and the treasures of the Lord's temple and the treasures of the king and his officials. They set fire to God's temple and broke down the wall of Jerusalem. They burned all the palaces and destroyed everything of value there. He carried into exile to Babylon the remnant who escaped from the sword. And they became servants to him and his sons until the kingdom of Persia came to power. Now pause for a moment there. We'll continue reading. But that is where Second Kings ended. People of God in disobedience. So God sends Nebuchadnezzar, comes, besieges Jerusalem, takes the Jews off along with the articles of the temple. That's where the book of Second Kings ended. Now Chronicles gives us a little bit more of the story now. So keep reading. Verse 21, the land enjoyed its Sabbath rests all the time of its desolation. It rested until the 70 years were completed in fulfillment of the word of the Lord spoken by Jeremiah. In the first year of Cyrus, king of Persia, in order to fulfill the word of the Lord spoken by Jeremiah, the Lord moved the heart of Cyrus, king of Persia, to make a proclamation throughout his realm and to put it in writing. This is what Cyrus, king of Persia, says. The Lord, the God of heaven, has given me all the kingdoms of the earth, and he has appointed me to build a temple for him at Jerusalem in Judah. Any one of his people among you, may the Lord his God be with him and let him go up. Now, your attention, this gives us more information. What this tells us is that the book of Chronicles was written after the 70 years of exile, because it gives us this little closing epilogue here in the book of Chronicles. Now check this out. God determined that the people, because of their disobedience, he was going to send off to Babylon for a time out. He sent Nebuchadnezzar to spank him. All right? God disciplines those whom he loves. Don't look at this as a cruel thing. This is the way that God was going to salvage his people to bring them to a place of surrender. And you know how that goes. Okay? When you're walking in disobedience to God, he will allow circumstances to come in and press against you until you finally will surrender and come to a better place where you are more surrendered to him. And God is going to do that for his people. But it was a predetermined time, 70 years. He's going to send them off to Babylon for 70 years. And then what does God do? Well, Chronicles tells us, king of Persia comes to the throne. God raises up another king to overthrow the Babylonian empire. Now the Medes and the Persians are ruling and dominating the world at this time. Same kind of geographical territory, but now there's a new king in town, and his name is Cyrus, king of Persia. 
And God moves in the heart of this pagan king to let the Jews go back to their homeland. Now, this is a remarkable thing. This is a pagan guy. Cyrus doesn't know God. He's not a Jew. He's a pagan guy. He's a Persian. How is it that he's moved in his heart to send the Jews back? I'll tell you how. It is believed that Daniel, the one for whom a book is named in the Bible, the prophet Daniel was whispering in the ear of King Cyrus. Because remember, from your Bibles and from history, that Daniel was a part of the exiles taken forcibly from Israel to Babylon. Daniel lived in the palace of Nebuchadnezzar, prophesied, ministered to him. And then he even, the Bible says in Daniel chapter 1, Daniel stayed there through the reign of the first couple of years of King Cyrus. So Daniel was there, and this is how it probably went down. Daniel is whispering in the ear of King Cyrus. Daniel's like, Cy, come here. I want to tell you something. Did you know that your name is in the Bible? My name's in the Bible. Yeah, in fact, in Isaiah... Your name is mentioned by name, which is a remarkable thing. 150 years before Cyrus is born, prophet Isaiah calls him by name. Isaiah mentions him by name. Daniel says, Cyrus, did you know you're mentioned in the Bible? I am. Yes, you are. God has a real purpose for you. He does. Yes, he does. And God wants you to let the Jewish people go back to their homeland. He does. Yes. You're going to be the hero of the Jewish people. I am. And what Cyrus does is he goes, wow, this is pretty incredible. Okay, well, I'll make this edict. All right, listen up. All you Jewish people, I know you were brought here by Nebuchadnezzar, the Babylonians. You get to go home. I'm going to let you go home, and I'm going to help build you a new temple. Now, this is what Chronicles tells us. Now, this is a remarkable thing. The Jewish people are allowed to go back to their homeland. But now, I want you to consider... Who's going to go back and why? For 70 years, the Jewish people have been living in Babylon. 70 years is a long time. You forget a lot of things. Your life has changed radically in 70 years. Consider this. What was it like for them when they were first taken into exile when they were living in Israel? You have a foreign nation coming. I want you to try to imagine this. A foreign nation invades the United States of America. Let's try to make it personal. They forcibly remove you from your home. They take you from your home, from your land, from your possessions, even from your family. When the Babylonians came and they besieged Jerusalem, they often separated family members and took them over to Babylon, and you often didn't even see your family again. Now you're living in another country. Everything is foreign to you. The people are foreign, the culture is foreign, the language is foreign, the food, everything is different. You are completely out of place. Everything that you've known and loved and was familiar to you is gone. Your home, your livelihood, your family, you won't necessarily see them again. Or you'll be over there somewhere near them, but you won't know life like it used to be. Life has radically changed for you. And over the course of 70 years, a lot of people are going to die. They'll never go back to Israel. And a lot of people will be born in Babylon. There's going to be a lot of Jews born in Jewish families living in Babylon who are told by Cyrus, you get to go back. The majority of whom have never even been there. What's your motivation for going now at this point? Now think about all of this. Because things are very different here. It's about a 500-mile journey. Let's say you were 10 years old when you were taken captive. You're 80 now. 
And somebody says to you, you get to go home. I'm, I'm 89. I don't know if I want to walk 500 miles. I think, I think I'll just stay where I am. Okay? The idea is that a lot of people who were older, they're not going to go back. And a lot of people who were born in Babylon and been raised there, that's their life now. They've never known their homeland. What's your motivation for going back? Very few return. Hundreds of thousands were taken into exile. Only about a little more than 50,000 will go back. One of those who will lead the remnant of the Jews back to Israel is a guy by the name of Ezra. He's a scribe. His book follows Second Chronicles. It is believed that he is also the author of the book of Chronicles, that he was inspired by the Holy Spirit to pen what we have here in the book of Chronicles. And here's why. Because you have to now bear in mind, you have a group of people who are going to go to Israel. They've been given the green light by King Cyrus. Most of the people going have never even been there. They don't know their own national identity. They don't know where they've come from. Where did my family live? Who am I? How do I even worship God? I've never even been into a synagogue or a temple. The temple's been destroyed. I wonder what the temple used to look like. How does worship work? They have a variety of questions. And so here's what God says through Ezra, whoever it might have been. I want you to chronicle. I want you to chronicle their history. And I want you to tell them their story. And I want you to give it to them as their handbook so that when they go back, they're going to learn. This is how you worship. This is the function of the priests. This is what happened with the kings. This is your genealogical record. This is who you belong to. There is a yearning in the heart of every human being to belong. All of us have a deep longing to know where have I come from? Who do I belong to? Any of you who have been adopted, you know this firsthand. There are some people who have been adopted. They spend sometimes a lifetime in quest of searching for their birth mother or their biological father because there is this longing in all of us to know where do I come from, who am I connected to, what's my history, what's my family. And for these people who are going back to Israel, many of whom have never even been there to begin with, they have no idea what their background is. They have no idea how to worship. Where's the temple? Where's Jerusalem? What does it look like? Where did my family used to live? So they need to get oriented. And that's what Chronicles is about. You know, when you take a job at a company, particularly if it's perhaps a larger company, typically you'll get some kind of an employee manual or a handbook, or maybe it'll be sent to you, not in paper, but electronically. And it's going to basically tell you company policy. It's going to tell you hiring and firing principles. It's going to tell you days off and time and a half and all this kind of stuff. And what does it do? It orients you to this new environment that you're not going to be working in. These Jewish people going back to Israel have no clue about anything. So God says, all right, I'm going to chronicle all of this for you. From beginning to end, we're going to start first place first. We're going to start with Adam. Now go back here to chapter 1, verse 1, and you can thank me later that I'm not going to go through the whole genealogical record, but I do want you to notice with me here, as we look at this together, in chapter 1, verse 1, it starts at Adam, his son Seth, Enosh, Kenan, Mahalel, Jared, Enoch, Methuselah, Lamech, Noah. Circle Noah. And then it says the sons of Noah were Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Okay? Now, we just read a thousand years of history right there. 
from Adam to Noah, about a thousand years. By the time you get to verse 27, and it mentions Abraham, you've gone another thousand years. So in the first 27 verses of chapter 1, you've gone 2,000 years of history. So it's pretty rapid in what they're doing here, but it is to orient, this is where you've come from. This is your heritage. This is who you belong to. Now, something that is good for us to glean from this, that is applicable even to us, is where do we fit in within this family tree here? Because all of us do. I mean, all of human history can be traced back to the three sons of Noah. Ever since the flood, when God did a start over, all of human history can trace itself back to one of the three sons of Noah. You and I have descended from one of these three sons. And I'm going to show you here, this maybe will help you kind of get your own bearings with some of your own heritage as we take a look at this together. Now, Shem, Ham, and Japheth, that's the way it's mentioned there in verse 4. And then it starts different sections, if you'll notice in your Bibles. In verse 5, it talks about the Japhethites. Those are the descendants of Japheth. Then it talks about the Hamites, the descendants of Ham. And then the Semites, the descendants of Shem. So I'm going to start in the order that it's given in verse 4, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. I'm going to go in that order. That's probably the birth order. Shem's probably the oldest. Japheth is the youngest. Ham is the middle son. What we learn here when we look at the genealogical record is that the Jewish race came from the line of Shem. They are the Semites. Okay? I don't mean to patronize anybody who already knows this, but for those of you who don't, that's why when we say that something is anti-Jewish, we say it's anti-Semitic. Because they are Semites from the line of Shem. All right? They are the people of God descended from Noah's son, Shem. Abraham is listed there in verse 27 as a descendant of Shem. Abraham's son Isaac and his son Jacob then formed the nation of Israel, the people of God. Remember, there were no Jews. There were never any Jews until God predetermined, just providentially determined, that Abraham and his seed would form the Jewish race. There were no Jews before that. Okay? Noah's not Jewish. Shem is not Jewish. These were just Gentile people. There was no Jewish race. But from the line of Shem came the Jewish race and ultimately the Jewish Messiah, Jesus. So when you look at the list there of Shem, that's the background of the Semites. When you see Ham mentioned and you look at the list of his sons, here's what I want you to notice with me. The list of names of people also correspond to the territories that they inhabit. So when you see here, for example, that Ham had a son named Canaan, or we kind of anglicize and say Canaan, Canaan was a person who settled in a region that became known as Canaan. Every place these people went, you know, you're the first to arrive, so you put your flag down, and you're going to name your territory after yourself. And so what we have the benefit of knowing here is that these are not only names, these also correspond to geographical territories or regions. And so the descendants of Ham basically form the regions of Africa, Arabia, and Asia. The descendants of Ham migrated south and east, primarily. And so you see a list here of the Canaanites, but you also can learn from their names the regions. For example, in verse 8, the sons of Ham, Cush. In the margin of your Bible, just circle the word Cush. It is the ancient name. If you look at a map today, the territory of Cush covers Ethiopia and northern Sudan. The name Put 
one of the other sons of Ham there in verse 8, corresponds to the region of Libya. So we're talking northern Africa. Then you have in verse 9, it mentions the sons of Ramah, Sheba and Didan. Sheba and Didan settled in the territory that on a map today is Saudi Arabia. We're so glad you joined us for Pastor Gary's message today. We've been studying through the book of 1 Chronicles, seeing the history of Israel and the life of King David from a new perspective. We hope you continue to join us as Pastor Gary takes us verse by verse through this Old Testament book. If you'd like to learn more about Cornerstone Connection, visit our website at cornerstoneconnection.cc. There you'll also be able to hear more teachings from Pastor Gary in this book and several others. We'd also like to tell you about our mobile app. You can have Bible-based, God-revealing teachings with you wherever you go when you download our app to your iPhone, iPad, or Android. It's always great to add some encouraging words to your day, especially when the busyness and stress of each day weighs you down. You'll also find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. When you like and follow us on social media, you'll have some great encouragement added to your newsfeed. We'd love to connect with you, too. Feel free to give us a call at 703-771-1500 and let us know how we can be keeping you in our prayers. That number, once again, is 703-771-1500. With that, our time with you has come to an end. Join us next time on Cornerstone Connection for more from the book of First Chronicles. They say you're a wandering soul That you've got no place to go But still you know You're not Star General Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.